Well, hello. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Twisted Tales with Faith. And Lisa. And we're excited to be here. With no court case drama this week to be told. No, no cray cray Faith. I've not been caught doing anything I'm not amazing. supposed to do in the cars. That's a good job. I know, right? You did great. Right? All right. Are you, right? Are you, well, right? you had me. They... I, no, I, I was hiccuping and then I kind of burped and I was trying to do it all incognito, but you had to call it out. So I thought you were having a stroke. I wasn't sure what was happening. 50 50, 50 50. <laughs> in other exciting news, Lisa has a man. Uh, yes. Who she might have scared off already, let's be honest. Yeah, he does think I'm a bit twisted. It's, a, <laughs> it's totally okay. So we're like hanging out last night. Just to hold. All right. So we're hanging out last night. And I am. I have a pair of pajama pants that may or may not have tigers on them. They're really comfortable, and I don't care if you want to judge me or not. <clears throat> I may or may not also be wearing those same pants right now. So They're, they're not tiger stripes. They're legitimate tigers walking through a forest, guys. Yeah. I just took a look, and my eyes are bleeding. Yes. Yeah. So we're just joking around, having a good old time, and I, I made a sarcastic comment. And he looked at me and he looked at my pants and he was like, all right, Carol Baskins, calm down. And I said, you keep up with that tone and you're going to be like Carol Baskins' ex-husband and go missing. I would like to say for the record <laughs> before, because I think he's coming tonight to listen in. This is the one that she told her name was like Patrick or something to no, that I told you all that story. <laughs> I remember that. Same guy. He's like, actually, my name's Brian. I'm like, yeah, I'm actually Travis. <laughs> Not that they probably he remember really, all of our little stories, but I was just gonna say he kind of he's buried. a glutton for punishment. He, is. he must be. He must be. Obviously, oh, yeah. Geez. Okay. So, well. another true crime news. I am sure everyone has heard, and I gotta tell you, I love this. I saw it on TikTok, and I sent it to Lisa one morning early, and she was like, "Is this true?" And I was like, "I don't know. I haven't had time to research." But whether you are Republican, are independent, or Democrat. Everybody should agree. Everyone should be okay with the fact that Florida passed a bill allowing the death penalty for child sexual abusers. And I got to say, if anyone has listened to this podcast more than once, they've heard my soapbox, and I firmly, firmly back this law. So, that was just another little tidbit. Whether you love Dos Santos or hate him, he's polarizing. I like this law because anything that protects kids in my book, I, exactly the way it should be. I like literally was like floored. I floored. I thought it was a uh, like a. I don't know. You thought it was a. You thought it was a, a like Republican a wish list, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like. Well, a, and, me, a me wish list, maybe. Yeah, and it said um, because they were talking about it, and uh, in an interview after they passed this on Good Morning Orlando, they asked DeSanto something, and his response is direct quote: "My view is." You have some of these people that will be serial rapists of six and seven year old kids. Yep. I think death penalty is the only appropriate punishment when you have a situation like that. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Doesn't matter what what well, age I mean, you are, race you are, ethnicity you are. Agreed. <laughs> you think about a logic. How many cases have we been through thus far, where we talk about somebody's child, like childhood through yeah, like, yeah. Uh, uh -huh. you know, prepubescent to pubescent, and they've whatever. all been abused. Well, no, 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 no. I'm talking about how many of them have been arrested for. Oh, like sexual yeah. abuse do mm -hmm. two years and then turn into a mass murder. Like it, it, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, one of the, not the Santos book, one of the people who supported the bill 
said once a predator has a child ensnared, they will harm that child over and over and over again and then move on to another innocent child, which yeah. I agree with. So I support that bill, and I'm happy with that bill. And if you don't like that, bite me. Hang probably, him and hang him high. You probably quit listening to this podcast a long time ago, so it doesn't apply to you. Yeah, you're good. Thank you to our you six loyal viewers. Six loyal. <laughs> six. I used to say three. That's a step. That's doubling our our, 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 our platform. Right. Now, I, now it's our, whew, our mother. It is going to be rough tonight, guys. I'm already stuttering. Well, you always stutter. It is my turn, Faith's turn to tell Lisa's story tonight, and I've got one for you. All right, let's hear it. All right, so we're going to jump right into it. And tonight, we are not going in the Wayback Machine. Oh. I oh, know. Wow, Faith. I okay. know. Something usually, in this decade? Really? Know, right? And the sad thing is, I want to say this was only 10 years ago. It's not, but still. So, in the fall of 2002... Oh, okay. So it's kind of like, you know, in the back, but not like super way back. Yeah. It's yeah. a drinking person away. A drinking 21. person away. Mm-hmm. In the fall of 2002, Jennifer um, Bordelion, along with her two daughters, 12-year-old Courtney LeBlanc and 9-year-old Alana LeBlanc, moved to Denham Springs, Louisiana. Now, Denham Springs is located in Livingston Parish, and I think we've hit on this before, but Louisiana doesn't have, like, counties... They, ha- they call them parishes. parishes. So, um, and this parish is literally right on the outskirts of Baton Rouge. Okay. So, Baton Rouge is a bigger city. Yep. And if you wanted to live more like the country, but still be like big city adjacent. Mm-hmm. Baton Rouge is where to go. That's, that's where you're going to live. You're going to live in this Denham Springs. That way you've got a quick commute to Baton Rouge right there. So, Jennifer, the mother, was originally from this area, but had been living in Mississippi Prior to this move, like I said, they, they just moved here. Um, they'd only been living here a couple of weeks when Jennifer got a call that her brother had been in a really bad car accident and was being airlifted to the hospital in Baton Rouge. And as any sister would, Jennifer immediately went to get plans to go into the city to be with her brother. He's going to be right there beside her. We don't know what's happening. You go to your brother. So, there's a few things happening here. The hospital, honestly, is not that far from her house. Again, right there, just outside the city limits. Her brother, obviously, is critical condition if they're going to life flight him. So, Jennifer left Courtney, the 12-year-old, at home alone. Now, before we get into judgment zone, I just want to point out a few things. Number one, it's 2002. There's cell phones. There's things. Number two. Courtney's 12, which is like prime babysitting age. That's yeah. when, you're, what's when you have your little babysitting business cards. You've been through your babysitting RS. In Louisiana, when I grew up in Louisiana, they used to have babysitter's class. You go to the local hospital, get CPR certified. You get your little babysitter card. Yep. That's how it was done. Um, so it's not that bad that the girl was left home alone. Number two, just in a second rebuttal to this, Courtney is homeschooled. Okay. But she's not like normal homeschooled, not like... She's a very self-sufficient, self-motivating, very mature for her age girl because Jennifer was a single parent and worked a job. Courtney homeschooled herself while her mom was at work. Oh. At 12. Okay. No way in heck. I'd be sleeping till noon. Yeah. So Courtney is a very responsible girl for her age. There was no problem for her being home alone this Saturday while her mom goes to the hospital. Anyway, besides that, just wanted to make sure we're not judging the mom. 
Um, Jennifer arranged for Courtney to spend the night that night with some family friends because she fully intended to stay at the hospital overnight with her brother to, just to see what was going on. Um, and she really didn't want Courtney staying overnight. It's a new house. She is young. Like, I don't really want you staying overnight by yourself, which, duh, there's no way I would have done it. Um, so Jennifer leaves. She goes to the hospital to, to sit with her brother and try to figure out what's going on. Not long after Jennifer left, I mean, we're not talking like hours. We're not talking end of the night. We're not even talking late. Okay. Courtney calls the family friend who she was going to spend the night with. And this isn't like a friend of hers. This is like one of her mom's friends. Because remember, her mom grew up in this this town. Yeah. All their family's there. Friends are there. Like, she knows people. So she calls her mom's friend that she's supposed to spend the night with. And just says, I, I am super busy. I'm way behind on schoolwork. I've got a huge book report I've got to do. I'm just going to stay home tonight. I'm not going to come spend the night. Okay. I'm, I feel fine with it. And the mom's friend agrees. That's fine. Okay. Now, here's the thing. I have two thoughts. Yeah. Two thoughts. Number one, if it is a close family friend, then they're probably aware that this girl is home by herself most times. Yeah. They know that this girl's responsible. And they probably knew the mother's boundaries and what the mother was comfortable with. Yeah. So it's not like they just were uncaring and like, okay, they probably had some semblance. Thought number two. Completely counter ducks. Thought number one. If you are in charge of the welfare of a child, any child, but especially a child that is not yours, that is a huge responsibility that you're taking on. And that is a huge amount of trust being placed upon you by that child's parent. And if that parent has called you to say, I would like my child to come spend the night with you because I do not want her home alone. And then that child calls after the parent leaves and says, I'm kind of busy. Yeah. You don't say, okay. Yeah. You've got two choices there. You either say, don't care. Right. Pack your crap. You can do it at my house because who cares if you're not the cool auntie? You're responsible for that child. Right. Or option number two. Hey, that's fine. You've got tons of stuff. I'm going to pack a to-go bag and I'm going to come sleep over at the house so you don't have to move. Right. Those are the two in my mind. Those are the, that's what you do. Yeah. You're not just like, okay. But that's, I've, got a, I've got a retort for that. Would though. you like to? Yes. Go yes. ahead. All right. Because both of my thoughts so, were completely different. From each other, but those are my thoughts. Yeah. So, for starters, yeah, okay, we think she's super mature. She's great. She's wonderful. She's 12. Still a child. I, I don't care, dude. Like, kids are manipulative and make dumb choices, one. Two, second, second of all. They're vulnerable. Okay, I don't care if your kid stays home by themselves at 12 or 18. If something bad's going to happen, it's going to happen if you're there or not. Night. Yep, it, yeah, at night, but it's going to happen whether you're there or not. But at least you give the kid a fight and chance. That's true. That's very, very true. That's not what I'm saying. Like, what yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. is I'd have been skeptical from the word go. Oh, hundo. Hugely hundo, skeptical. Because she's turning 13. That's the rebellion age. Yeah. Those are the dark years in any girl's life. I mean, not just in general. Like, you know, if if my nephew, who's 11, called me and said, hey, I know I'm supposed to stay the night with you, but I'm comfortable at my house by myself. Glad you're comfortable. Get comfortable at my house. Yeah, I was. I would be like, that's great. I'll be there in 10 minutes to pick you up. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah, no, not going to happen. Absolutely not. All right, go so, ahead. So, 
be that as it may, um, all that aside, all of our feelings aside, because we're very opinionated people if you haven't picked up on that, the friend did call up to the hospital and let Jennifer know, hey, Courtney called. She said she's got all this homework to do, and she just wants to stay at home by herself. Are you okay with that? And the mom was like, yeah, that's fine. I just oh. didn't. I didn't know if she'd be okay with it, but if she's okay with it, that's fine. So Courtney's almost 13. Again, very responsible. Jennifer's not staying at the hospital, like, all day the next day. She just wants to meet with the doctors in the morning. She wants to be there while her brother's there, be with them overnight, and be there when the doctors get there the next morning. Then she's going to come home a couple of hours. Nothing could go wrong, right? Well, early the next morning, on Friday, November 15th, Jennifer's brother ended up having to be transported from Baton Rouge to New Orleans. He was too critical for the Baton Rouge hospital. So after he left, Jennifer heads home. It's early afternoon hours. She has more than likely gotten very little sleep because she's been in, in an ICU or an ER. People are talking. They come in every hour to check your vitals. You get no sleep. She's probably stressed, emotionally just exhausted, physically exhausted, mentally exhausted. She just wants to go home decompress, I'm assuming think through the trauma, maybe get a nap in, maybe drink some wine, who cares if it's the morning, <laughs> you know, like whatever you need to do. So she I'm wa- overwhelmed, I'm going to get trashed. Ex- yeah. Who cares if it's <laughs> at five o'clock somewhere? So she walks into the house, Courtney's blanket is laid out in the living room floor like always, all her books are like surrounding it, but Courtney's not there. It's early, she's probably in bed. So... Um, Jennifer, here's the deal. I already said it, but Jennifer and her daughters had just moved to this area. So when Jennifer goes up into Courtney's room and sees that Courtney, surprise, surprise, is not there. And then when Jennifer checks the whole house and finds that Courtney's not there, there's not a lot of options here. Yeah. Number one, they just moved here. They don't have any friends. Number two, she is homeschooled. She doesn't have any friends. Yeah. It's like some of Jennifer's family and her friends, but that's it. Like, Corny doesn't have anybody. She should be at home. So, initially, Jennifer's not super worried um, because, let's be honest, she's an almost 13-year-old girl. It is, it's Saturday, Sunday morning. She knows her mom's going to be gone, and she knows when her mom gets back, she's going to take a nap. So more than likely, she just called one of Jennifer's brother's sister's parents to come pick her up, take her to the mall, do whatever. She did all her homework. It's all sitting right there. So Jennifer starts calling around to family members to see if someone came to get Courtney. It's 2002, so while cell phones are around, it's not like today's age where every 12-year-old has a phone in hand. Yeah, and you can stalk it. Yeah, it was like an adult thing to have a cell phone then. Um, and in... Courtney, Jennifer's mind isn't running because she knows Courtney didn't go off to do dumb things with friends, like we stated. She's just somewhere. So she's calling down a very short list of who, who could have come and got Courtney and realizes very quickly, nobody came to pick up Courtney. Courtney's just gone. So Jennifer, like any mother would do, immediately turns around and calls law enforcement to report her daughter missing. So this is on November 15th, 2002. She called the Livingston Parish Sheriff, and the sheriff was assigned to the case, and the FBI is immediately brought in on this case. Yep. A profiler, Mary O'Toole, is consulted on this case. 
Not only were the police and FBI presence immediate for this missing girl, but search parties were formed. Her picture is everywhere. People are showing up in droves to help find this missing girl. Jennifer's estranged husband, um, Gerald Bordelion, I have a hard time with this name, Bordelion, comes down immediately to try to help find the little girl. He's doing interviews. He's on searches. He's everywhere. So does anything about, like, the past 30 seconds to 60 seconds, does none of that strike you as strange? Well, when it comes to, like, the FBI thing, I thought, especially in 2000s, I thought that when it comes to missing children, like, under the age of 15, Mm -hmm. I thought FBI had to be contacted. I could be totally wrong about that. See, I was I was expecting you to stop me, but you were like, "Yep, yep." The mother calls the police. Yeah, it has not been twenty four hours. No, but and immediately, police, FBI profilers, and FBI agents are on the scene. Yeah, what case have we ever covered that that's the case? Well, this is a more recent case. Like when it comes to back in the day, true, true. You know, missing kids is usually it's always a priority when it's a missing child. True. Okay. But when it's when it's 16, 17, 18, and they're and they can be speculated to be a runaway, it's it's a totally different scenario. Or if they've had a history with drugs or history of prostitution or Mm -hmm. you know, any kind of like negative nuance, but this girl was twelve. And so they're not speculating something is super, super weird at that point. I don't think. I'll give you that. I still thought it was weird that like Yeah, it's like the helicopters came, yeah. Like, where was the military at this point? Like, we called, and they're all there. Yeah. FBI profilers, like, that's usually not... Well, I was going to say, I don't know about the whole profiling thing, but I thought, and I'm going to have to look this up, but I thought that if it's a missing child, like, it's pretty much almost in the hat that the FBI gets called. See, I did not not think about that. Because, I mean, they all have, like, their own stations in, in every place. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and that's true. And I didn't think about that. I just, normally every case we go over, they call reported missing and they're like, has it yeah, been, been 24, 24 hours? hours? And that's so ingrained in my mind that I was like, how is there this many people there that quickly? Yeah, it's kind of weird. So, but there's a reason. There's a reason there's this, this big of a turnout immediately. So to understand this reason, we're going to rewind a few years. We're going to go back to August 1992 in Louisiana. And Where the FBI was likely not called. No, Go ahead. No, no, no. In August 1992, Louisiana is preparing for Hurricane Andrew, which I remember yes. because I lived there. Everybody was putting plywood up on their up on their windows. Sandbags everywhere. Sandbags everywhere. We did not have a basement, and in Louisiana, not a lot of people had basements right. because that's not a thing there. Um, no, because everything's a freaking flood zone. Exactly. Why would you? <laughs> so my family went to stay with Dr. Chris Kirk because they had a gigantic house. And like three other families. Man, you name there. drop a lot. You know that? I know I do. I'm gonna have to edit that out. I do yeah. not to do. that's not I a just name, throwing that out that there. That helps. No, that's true, yeah. So but we us and a bunch of other families went over there. I remember when we watched all the Indiana Jones until the power went out. Like it was a thing. Yep. My brother was still wetting the bed, and I remember Dr. Chris was like, Do not pee on my floor, Zachary. <laughs> um so anyway, I remember this storm. Well, everyone is in a tizzy trying to get their house prepared. You know, try to try to limit the amount of damage that's about to happen. Connie Lynn Warner um, is a woman who lived in Zachary, Louisiana, and she is not her mind is not so much consumed with the storm to come 
and all the preparations because her mind is consumed with this man that she had to report to the police a few hours or a few days previously because she caught him peeking inside her house and like lurking around her house. Okay. So she had lived in this home the past four years with her 17 year old daughter, Tracy. Tracy and her boyfriend are planning to go check out LSU, call it little college visit um, in late August. So before they leave on the 21st of August, Tracy and her boyfriend are doing something at her house. And Tracy's boyfriend sees this man that is lurking outside the house. And as he sees him, he realizes he's seen this man lurking around his girlfriend's house a lot. Really? And it is a grown man that's just lurking around outside, never comes up. And he says, you know what? He's a good. Yeah, I don't think I'm a fan. I don't. We're not, we're not going to do this. And yeah. as a good boyfriend, goes and confronts the man. Mm-hmm. This kid's in high school. That's what men do. Yeah. So he goes and confronts this guy. The guy mumbles a few curse words at him and then just heads off. Mm. Like, that's it. End of the thing. So on the, the couple leave. They go to their LSU visit. On Sunday, they get back from visiting, and Connie's not at the house. Um, it's still pretty early. It's not that big of a deal. She's an adult. Right. She she doesn't have to have a permission slip from her 17-year-old daughter to go do whatever she wants to. Right. You know, um, the TV's on. They're not worried. They hang out. Time fast forwards a little bit. It's 10.30 p.m., and Connie's still not home. And Tracy's worried. Mm-hmm. Now, it's 10.30 on a weekend. Not that big of a deal. Right. But the thing is, Connie does not ever stay out past dark. Mm-hmm. Unless Tracy is playing or participating in an event at school that she wants to go watch, Connie doesn't risk it because she has horrid night night vision, like almost to the point of blindness. Oh. She does not stay out at night, period. Okay. So when it hits 1030, that's a red flag to Tracy. Like something's yeah. wrong. My mom doesn't do this. So she starts calling around to neighbors, calling some of her mom's friends, calling family members. Nothing. She can't, she can't either, it's too late and they're not answering because they're old. Or they haven't seen or heard from Connie. They don't know what's going on. Tracy's panicking. Yeah. At 11.30 that night, still, she can't find her mom, hasn't heard a word from her mom. So she's able to get in touch with her grandparents. And she's losing it. So her grandfather comes over to the house. Because at this point, Tracy has, you know, she's done canoodling on the couch with her boyfriend, whatever they did all day. She's walked around the house. She's seen some things. She's freaking out. Her mom's not home. Okay. So her grandfather gets there, and and Tracy explains everything, everybody she's called, what's going on, and says, I need you to come to the laundry room with me. Grandpa's like, okay. They go in there, and she's like, the washing machine has clearly been moved. And I don't know about you, but that looks like, like spots of blood on the floor. So the grandfather looks at all this, like nothing's like overt to him, yeah. but just not like once pointed out something, it doesn't pass the smell test. Yeah. So he goes out because Connie's car is still in the driveway. Okay. Which is why Tracy wasn't super worried till 1030 because her mom obviously wasn't driving. So grandpa goes out and takes a look at Connie's car and he sees that there's vomit all along the floorboard. 
That's it for him. He calls the police. Once the police get to the house, they see clear signs of a struggle throughout the house. Really? And around the property. It's obvious that Connie did not want to go with whoever took her. It obviously a fight. It was against her will and she was removed from the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't find a lot on exactly what, but she was probably hanging on. Like one, one of the articles I looked at said she was probably like hanging on to the washing machine as they're pulling her out yeah. type of deal. That's why it was shuffled. Because I don't know if you know this, but washing machines are fracking heavy. Yeah. I just got a new washer and dryer. I can move around by myself. Washer? It's a hernia with five people. Yeah. Anyway, so she's gone. She's been taken. Um, obviously, there's been a struggle. Obviously, something's happened. So September 2nd, a couple days later, 1992, a truck driver, 2002 is where we, I just, okay, side note, I just yelled at Lisa because I said she was looking at her phone too much, not paying attention to my lovely melodic voice and my face. She said, and I, I said, you're not even knowing dates. So she starts rattling off all the dates to prove me wrong. And then I just said, 1992. She's like, what? 2002 is where we started. We went no, back in time. No, I said 92. And you were like, no, that's wrong. And oh. then I said, and 2002. Well, that's where we started. That's why. Yeah. Anyway. So who to- doesn't know the dates of where we're at right me. now? That's what I thought. I can barely read, Lisa. All right. So September 2nd, 1992, a truck driver is driving and discovers Connie's body near the Capitol building. The cause of death is a skull fracture. However, there's not one single piece of evidence they can find outside of her house or on her body. Because Hurricane Andrew came through that area on October 26th and washed everything away. So all we have is a cause of death. Tracy and her boyfriend were actually highly suspected during the initial and throughout the investigation because the story of them going on a little LSU college trip did not, um, had some holes in it. Uh Uh-oh. AKA, that's what they told her mom they were doing, and they went to Motel 8. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they went to go boink. Um, That's kind of what it was alluded to. I couldn't really figure it out, but they were highly suspected. But um, there um, was also... Another man that had been known to be peeping in neighborhoods and kind of skulking. Right, and that would more than likely be the guy that the boyfriend confronted, yes? Yeah, we don't know. Okay. Um, but there's no evidence against the peeping Tom or them, so no one, I mean, they've got, they've got nothing. Even if they found someone, unless he confessed, they've got nothing. Yeah. So her death just goes. Three months later, a father in Zachary, Louisiana, same city, comes home from work walks into his house, and there's a man standing in the middle of his living room. Okay. The man turns and looks at him, kind of panics, and says, Hey, I'm looking for Monroe, which is a, a different city. Okay. Then turns, runs out of the house, jumps on one of his small daughter's bikes, and pedals away. Are you serious? Like, you can't think of anything better. Like, oh, you're not Tim. Like, oh, I'm looking for a whole other city. <laughs> Peace. And run, like, you oh. didn't play that cool at all. Yeah, dude did not expect you to come home that early, right? No. The man did have two young daughters. Yep. There's a there's a full-grown man standing in his living room. Yep. He calls the police. Yep. Yep. So police were able to track down this um, skillful bicycle assailant. Yep. And uh, <laughs> the bicycle seat. <laughs> yeah. And it uh. is a, a guy by the name of Derek Todd Lee. They 
They track him down in the cemetery. They arrest him. He made bail two days later. I mean, he was just like, I'm sorry. It was a stupid, like, I was just trying to scare him. I thought it was my friend's house. My bad, guys. Right. So he goes on his merry way. It, it's no harm, no foul. There's nothing really to hold. I mean, he didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. He literally, like, yelled at the guy, jumped on a little girl's bike and, and away. ran away. A short time later in April, there is, this is all happening, Baton Rouge. This is all surrounding Baton Rouge. So, in April, a young couple was uh, parking, or as previously stated on an LSU visit, Yep. Um, in their Toyota. Planking. Yep. <laughs> when the door is suddenly ripped open, and the, the, the boy that was driving, that was parking, is bashed in the head with a brush axe. The assailant God. starts full-scale psycho crazy attacking this couple that are still in the car. Okay. The boy who had his head bashed is legitimately trying to, like, protect his girlfriend while the guy's, like, beating them. All of a sudden, headlights come from, like, a distance. The attacker gets scared and skeets right out of there, okay. leaving the traumatized couple in the car. Right. They lock the car immediately, and they're losing their mind. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, a police officer notices this car parked on the side of the road with a dome light on, he knows what's going on. Yeah. Any police officer, you, you know where you know where people go to park. Right, but then, you know, did he know that they just got no. beaten to death? Like, no. Yeah. He's driving up to, quote-unquote, investigate, basically say, hey, guys, move along. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he gets there, the couple, like, when he knocks on the window, the couple lose their mind. The girl's screaming, it's him, it's him, he's going to kill us, it's him. So the cop realizes at this point something's going on. Yeah. He is able to calm the young couple down, convince them that he was, in fact, an officer of the law, asks them what the heck happened. They tell him about the attack, um, and they, uh, fortunately, the worst of their injuries, besides, you know, just getting struck, was the boy had a slash on his head, not life-threatening, just a cut. The girl had one on her thigh. Like, that was the most, and he was full-scale attacking them. Like, some bruises and stuff, but that's the worst. Yeah. So, the officer, <laughs> excuse me, and I say fortunately, like, that's scary and horrible, but that could have ended so much worse. Oh, yeah. So, the officer calls it into his precinct. Officers respond. An ambulance come to pick up and tend to the kids. Unfortunately, that night, it was raining so heavy, there is not a single piece of evidence. Not wow. even a boot print. Nothing. So the individual is able to get away again. And even if they, unless someone confesses, they have nothing to go on. Now I'm kind of wondering if this 2002 story had a storm involved. Yeah. So, and, and the deal is, is the kids were so horrified. This guy, I mean, they are, they're necking in the backseat of a car. This guy just rips open the car and is bashing them. They can't see his face. They yeah. can't even identify who just hit him. Yeah. So... By the time, eventually, here, here, just a little kick in the pants for you. Eventually, the police were able to get a, um, a lineup of victims. And they had the correct person in this lineup. But due to the statutes of limitation passing, even though every cop in there knew that person was guilty, even though he was correctly identified by his voice by the couple, he was let out without a single consequence for his actions because the statute of limitations had, had passed. passed. Oh. Six years later, 
Um, Kathy is in her neighborhood at her home in the backyard with her son. He's playing. She's watching him like any good mom would do. When all of a sudden, three-year-old adorable button-nosed little Michael from down the street comes walking around the corner. And he sees them and he says, hey, can I play? Can I play here? And Kathy's son's name is never mentioned. Doesn't need to be. And Kathy says, sure you can, if your mom says it's okay. To which Michael responds with, um, I can't find my mom. I don't know where she is. That's why I want to play here, basically. Wow. So Kathy, who is a good mom, um, says, you know what? Here, come on. Grabs Michael's hand. Let's go walk and find your mom. Thinking the little boy was probably taking a nap and the girl, the mom is outside in the backyard working or, you know, little boy was playing the mom's. You know, something's happened. Yeah. Easy peasy explanation. So. Except for. Yep, <laughs> yeah. She gets to the boy's, the boy's house where he lives with his mother, Randy. Randy and her husband have been through a divorce here recently like not recently like probably a year ago but they're one of those couples that were better friends than married yeah they've stayed very close like they great co-parent randy had just talked to her husband her ex-husband the night before to say hey you're coming to pick him up tomorrow (laughs) so um when kathy walks into randy's house she stops because the house is covered in blood and something is bad bad wrong so she immediately picks up michael and runs back to her house to get her husband, and they call the police. Yeah. Um, so the police get there, and there is evidence of an extremely large struggle. Blood is literally everywhere. It is... All right, so there's evidence of a very large struggle in the house. Blood is literally everywhere. The headboard is covered in blood where her head was smashed. Her, her head was hit so hard against the wall, her contact had fallen out of her eye and was found in a puddle in the bedroom floor. Oh, God. I was waiting for you to say there was, like, brain matter. Or no. Um, her car was in the driveway, just like um, the lady before. Yep. But there's no keys in it. There is a trail of blood through the house, outside the house. There's a trail of blood on the trash bag. And there is also some semen on the trash bag. What? Why not? Apparently. I'm so sorry, but there was a... Oh, no. No, no. Okay. He 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 pleasured himself and decided the best place to release that um, pleasure was on the black trash bag outside to just ejaculate all over that like an animal. Right. Because that's what he is. Yeah. You know, I feel... I'm just like, going to... I mean, if it was a white trash bag, maybe it would be a little better. Lisa, the amount of editing I have to do because of your racist comments... <laughs> How is that racist? A white trash bag is better than a black trash bag? Faith, what colors come? <laughs> okay, well, I didn't take that it that way. That was really... Damn it. Really? What the... <laughs> I have to edit all this shit out. Okay. <sighs> Rewind. Let's see. All right, we're back at it. That just Poor gave Ryan. me a good stopping point. Yeah. We just had to edit out a lot because I'm an idiot. No, but that, anyway, that needs to get left in. That no, was we can't get left in. That has to be left. Oh. That was the most amazing thing I've ever. Oh my god! I really thought you were being racist. What? I, it was really. I legitimately did. Okay, listen. Usually, I don't mind talking about all this. Talking no, about ejaculation with your new reason, boyfriend here is kind reason, of awkward. The only reason that you want to edit it out is because I was going to look stupid. Yes. yes. <laughs> Well, number one, I'm already like, I'm talking about some guy ejaculating on a trash bag with him behind me. Yeah. This is the first time I've met him and I'm talking about that. So, you know, hey, hi. Hi, Ryan. 
I'm Faye. I like ejaculation on trash bags. Let's move on. Okay. That was <sighs> way more awkward. Good job. Oh, uh, you know, I was. It is what it is. That's where my mind friend was when you said a white trash bag and my mind just went. To me being racist. Apparently. I'm <laughs> editing all this out. <laughs> no, Continue. You're not. So, um, police come. They've investigated. They found all this. There is. And all the police. Never mind. I'm going to stab okay, you in I'm the sorry. eyeballs. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Now you're all. Yeah, now her phone's down, guys. Patrick, I'm about done with you. So, there was one investigator at this police department who knew without a shadow of a doubt who's been committing these crimes. Okay. Um, and I'm assuming it's the same tool bag that was... It's the same... He timed it, out, right? It is the same peeping Tom. Yep. It's this neighborhood peeping Tom. And the officer is so sure of his gut, like he's got a Gibbs gut, that okay. he decides nothing else matters. No evidence. Yep. No other, no other suspects. This guy did it. That's it. Um, so much so that when they went to do a search of this guy's house just to see, he um, gets in the guy's face and says, I know what you're doing and I'm going to stop you. So he is so single-minded that he has pulled off this case. Okay. And they're like, no. Because it's a string at this point. All yeah. these, All these murders and all these... So they, they pull him off the case, and he's actually off the case for a couple, like a year or two until he's promoted to lieutenant, then puts himself back on the case. Um, his name is Detective David McDavid. Why wow. would you name your kid David if your last name is McDavid? He just goes by Mac. It is what it is. Yeah. He's not even important to the story. I just like the name David McDavid. Okay. Anyway, so um, let's see. Um, he did not, even though Mac, when he was on the case, was 100% sure he knew who it was. His gut knew who it was. All the crimes up to the state, he knew it's this guy. He does not have any evidence to back this up. Um, so he can't prove if he's right or wrong. He's jerked off the case. He becomes lieutenant. <sighs> Can we please act like we are not 12-year-old boys? You're doing it to yourself. But he he was he was removed. Okay, fine. There you go. He was removed from the case. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, guys, it's gonna just—it's not me stuttering tonight or mispronouncing every other word. It's, which yeah, now I'm I gonna start. I'm three. Go. Okay, I've lost my spot. Um, let's he see. He was jacked off the case. That's where you left. Uh, fine. Screw you. So in 2002, Matt was made lieutenant, and he's brought back on the case. Yep. 2002. If you remember, is where we started all this. Yeah, and that was when the 12-year-old. Courtney. Yep. Was, she's missing. Yep. So that is why FBI profilers, police, and FBI immediately on this. Baton Rouge has a serial killer. Not only at this point does Baton Rouge have one serial killer, they've got three. Yes. Oh. During this time frame that Courtney goes missing, there are three serial killers. Are you kidding me? Nope. Oh, okay. in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a scary dark place. So, wait, did I get a story from each? No. Okay, we're not even done I'm with the uh, list. Okay, so I'm gonna skip this part because I don't want to tell you who it is yet. We're gonna go down some. So we're gonna go to the next victim. Um, there is a woman who this gentleman. Um, they don't know each other, but she sees him around town. And this guy starts to kind of mini-stalk Colette Walker. Like, she goes to the store. Oh, look, we're both here to get avocados. 
is she like a adult or she's in her twenties? Okay. And so he ends up this mini stalker following her home one day, follows her right into her apartment, and starts making crude comments about the ways he can sexually please her. Asks for a beer. And she turns around and she's like, hey, why don't you go? <laughs> like, there's the door you walked in. Go back out. Yeah. Bye-bye. Peace be with you. But she just, like, let him in or? He followed her in. Oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not understanding this situation at all. It, no, because it's not a logical how, situation. How closely would you, okay, if there was some random dude behind me, within a foot of me, like, could just reach out and touch my shoulder following me so closely. Well, she was at the store, so she probably had bags. She's probably not paying attention to when she's walking into her you apartment. Don't, you cannot tell me that you don't feel that presence, okay? If somebody is getting up on my ass when I'm Listen, at the gas station buying It felt like he was breathing on my neck a minute exactly ago when I said right. the ejaculation word and he was yeah. behind me. So, yeah, I get you. Yeah. But um, people, are, people are very oblivious when they're doing their own thing. And she's at her house. She's at her space house. She walks in. He literally just follows her. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So she says, hey, bud, you need to go. Okay. And the guy, like, it's like, okay, here's my number to call me if you want to hook up sometime. Gives her a hug. Like, the most awkward hug in century. And then just leaves. So, in her mind, I'm sure she's thinking, what the WTF, he's probably dude. slow. Like, oh, yeah. you know okay. what I mean? Like, he's slow. He doesn't have, like, any any social, social etiquette or yeah. graces. Like, he's just maybe a weird guy that doesn't know boundaries well. well. Whatever. We're, gonna, we're just going to count this off to somebody weird. Except a few days later, she sees the same man hiding behind a tree by her window. Okay. Watching her. Okay. She was concerned and would have let it pass. But her daughter walks out to get some nail polish out of their car, to which the guy looks at Colette, who's outside watching her daughter, and is like, hey, is that your, is that your girl? Is that your daughter? This is past normal. Like, this is past, like, normal weird person that doesn't know. This is, you're a danger. I'm calling 911, which is what Colette does. Yes, yeah, it's female code. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't call when he followed me into my house and gave me an awkward hug. I'd be like, he assaulted my body. Please take him away. Yeah. Actually, I would have just beat him but that's fine neither no you wouldn't you'd i have, bet i would you'd have jumped on the couch and screamed I would like have, you did in I'd the have been like, video uh i'm calling i'm calling my friend lisa and she's gonna kick your butt <laughs> just like i usually threaten people with thank you very much so this time when the police get there there's actually evidence uh, they can find boot prints outside of colette's bedroom window that this guy's left behind so there's enough to convict the person of a crime however he takes a plea deal. He's sentenced to probation. And once again, this person is left wander off Free without consequences. Roam. In February 2000, um, the man gets into a fight with a lady by the name of Cassandra. He beats her severely. Police are called. The gentleman attempts to flee by running over a police officer with his car, which gets him busted. And he's given four years of hard labor as sentence. Um, unfortunately, he only spends a year in prison, but that's more than this guy's ever gotten yeah. in his life. Yeah. September 24th, Gina Wilson-Green was a no-call, no-show to work. Her boss, Greg, gets worried because it's not like her and starts calling her. At around 1230 that day, 
she still hasn't called in. She hasn't answered. And he says, you know what? I'm taking my lunch. I'm going to her house. They're friends. He knows where she lives. So he pulls up her pride and joy red BMW sitting in her driveway. She's probably sick. Maybe right. she fell. Maybe she fell and she can't get up. Yeah. Who knows? So he tries to get in. Spare key's missing. He walks around. Back door's unlocked. Great. So he walks in the house. He looks around. He makes it to her bedroom. And he finds Gina. Dead in her room. Calls the police immediately. When they arrive, they start looking to, into the events that led up to her death. The autopsy revealed that she had been brutally raped and then strangled to death. They followed her cell phone pings, like the location she went. Yeah. They looked up charges on her credit card. They follow all these clues, and they find a towel, a bloodied towel from her house, just very, very close to where Connie's body was. First lady who died earlier. Right. Why her kid was at the LSU boinking trip. Oh my um, God. Two days after Gina's murder, a domestic abuse claim is filed against the same man that Officer Mack, or Lieutenant Mack, is sure the whole time. He's sure. Um, his wife files a domestic um, dispute against him. He spends one month in prison. He's let out. It's nothing for him. Moves on with his life. January 14th, 2002, Jerry Lynn DeSoto is at home alone when she hears a knock on the door. She's 24 years old. She answers the door, and there's a man standing there saying, can I use your phone? Of course, she's a, she's a nice girl. She goes and gets the cordless. She goes to hand it to him. Before she can even hand him the phone, um, he slams the phone. Like, he busts in the house, takes the phone, slams the phone into her head with such force, he cracked her skull and damaged brain tissue. And the 21-year-old was found dead by her husband, Darren. Darren realizes around 6 p.m. the same day. He hasn't heard from his wife all day. She had a job interview that morning because she's just finishing up graduate school. And he really thought he'd have heard from her, like, yay, nay, good, bad, nothing. So he attempts to call her house, call her cell phone, can't get in touch with her, rushes home at 6, walks in, finds her lifeless body on the floor. Now, when Darren first finds his wife, he doesn't think foul play. He thinks that she, she has, has no, that she is, she has killed herself. Oh, okay. Um, because she has suffered with major depressive episodes up until this point. I know. So he thinks that, that she's hurt herself. She's very depressed. She's actually written about taking her own life in her journal for months. So when Darren finds his wife, He's pissed, like, he's got all these emotions, so he punches a wall and then just starts sobbing and, you know, cradles his wife, like, right. scoops her up. They can't see my arm motions, so. I know. Whatever. You, you Imagine a scooping with both arms, people. <laughs> so as, he, as he's down there cradling his wife's head, he realizes she didn't kill herself because her neck has been slashed from ear to ear to the point of decapitation almost. Okay. So he calls, and he calls the police. They get there. Um, unfortunately for Darren, when he got home, he was angry. Yep, punched the wall. He's, he's the got bruised knuckles. Yep. His body is covered in her blood from where he was cradling her. Yep. And besides, NCIS, Tony Denozo, spouse always did it. Yep. So for years, he is the main suspect. He is hounded by police because they can't find anything else. They don't know anything else besides this guy. Right. Um, further in, not in his favor, 
when they read all her journals, they see all these detailed, horrific fights that the couples got into that she'd written about. Okay. When they canvass friends and family, they're across the board. <coughs> their relationship is described as volatile. Um, and even though Darren never wavered a moment in saying that he was innocent, it was years of like intense digging and intense police presence in his life. May 23rd, 2002, Christina Moore, don't know what I was going to say there, was working through um, school, college, and went for a run, a run one night and never came back from her run. This is a very, like, she's almost through her master's degree. Like, she's she's doing the thing. Yeah. She's not just going to abandon post. No. And, she's yeah. got a good life. She's happy. Um, a month later, her body is found. The cause of death is a skull fracture. But guess what? But it's rained. Uh huh. Not a stitch of evidence. No, who or what caused her death? Did she slip on the run? Did she hit her head? Yeah. Did someone? We don't know. So a week later, May thirty first, Charlotte Pace was at home when she hears a knock on the door. She goes to answer the door, and guess what? There's a man there. Guess what he needs? A phone. Uh huh. So she goes and gets her phone. And guess what happens when she hands it to him? He whacks her with it. He attacks her, just like DeSoto. However, Charlotte um, is apparently scrappier. I don't know, but she fought back, and she fought back hard, which enraged her attacker, and he took a flathead screwdriver and stabbed her over 100 times before violently raping her and strangling her to death. When her roommate found her— Damn, Faith. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is, yeah, this is horrible. Yeah, you're great. I know. You don't um, do trigger warnings for me anymore. I don't like it. I do not. I put them in the, the show notes. It, listen, it's an explicit contact. It is a true, it is a true crime podcast. What do you think I'm talking about? Bunnies and rainbows? Ejaculation and murder. Ejaculation. Oh, let's get on with that. Okay, so Charlotte's roommate comes home, finds her body. The crime scene is, he's never coming around me no, again. No, I know, probably not. I don't blame him. So the scene is so bad, and her roommate is so traumatized that she she leaves Baton Rouge completely. Like, she's out. July 9th, 2002. 40-year-old nurse, Diana Xander's at home getting ready for work. Her husband's a um, delivery driver. He's not home. There's a knock on the door. Diane goes to answer it. There's a man outside. He tells Diane, hey, I'm lost. I need directions. Can I use your phone? Diane says, sure. She gets the phone. She goes to hand it. He says, hey, is your husband here? And Diane says, no, no, he's not. The husband's always there. Same with the attack dogs, the dragon, whatever you got. It's there. It's there. She says, no, he's not. And just like that, the man flips, charges into the house, grabs her by her throat, threatens her with a knife. He attempts to rape her. But um, apparently was had some performance issues that night. Nice. And in his frustration and anger, takes a telephone cord from the wall and starts whipping her with it. Which, from your brother, hurts really bad. Apparently your mom did that once when y'all were little and that was yeah. loud. <laughs> I thought... Uh, Frankie deserved it. A hundred percent. If we had home phones, I'd beat him with one right now. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, uh, let's see. So... He starts to no. be- Wow, that was a random childhood memory, and it just took me back because I remember <laughs> just kind of being over there like silence. Yeah. Don't me and, me and Michael kind of looking at each other like that could be us. Yeah. Like 
this is this is serious. My quiet little mom. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Frankie tells that story all the time. Like it happened like on the rag. (laughs) Whatever. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, continue. So he beats her with it, and then he starts to strangle her with it. Yep. The phone cord. And she yes, is. I know. I was laughing at the memory. Okay, you sorry. A freaking weirdo. So she's not going down without a fight. She's fighting back as hard as she can. When Wonder of All Wonders, her son walks in the house unexpectedly. How old's her son? I doesn't. It didn't really say, but it scared her attacker, and he fled. Diana's brought to the so hospital. My guess is he's he was he's big at least enough, high school. He was big enough to be a threat. <laughs> he's big enough to drive. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. And Louisiana doesn't breed small boys. No, no, like, it doesn't. They're, they're lumberjacks. Yeah, they're, they're meat, big. They're meaty masters. Boudreaux and Thibodeaux and they're big. <laughs> if you're <laughs> little, big. you're alligator bait. Yeah, yeah. So she's brought to the hospital for treatment. Unfortunately, she is so traumatized by what just happened. She can give the police nothing, not even a vague description of what the man that just did this to her. Yeah. On a positive side, police were able to find DNA because there was some semen left behind again on her dress. Okay. So a DNA profile was started because we are in the 2000s. Yep. <clears throat> July 2002. Pam gets home around 9.30 p.m. after leaving from work. She's home alone since her husband's still working. Unfortunately, she has a bad habit. Um, we all have one. Like, I can't ever find my keys or my phone, ever. Her Pam's bad habit is when she unlocks the back door, she goes in, closes the door, but the keys are still in said door outside. Nice. Does it help? Good job, Pam. So she goes inside. Damn, that was victim shaming. Sorry. That was victim shaming. Yeah, okay. And I'm fixing to victim shame the hell out of some people, so just pause on that. Let me get all that in. Okay. Um, So she starts to get undressed to get in the shower, and she, geez Louise, you're just going to order the poor man around? Anyway, he's easily trained. He is easily trained. Damn, it took me like five years to get Frankie to do anything I said. He's That's just like, up. yes. I really hope Scotty never listens to this. Stop it now. I think after everything we talked about, it's safe to say he ain't ever listened yeah, to this episode. That's probably a good point. So, anyway, she's getting undressed to get in the shower and she hears footsteps coming down the hall. Right. Now, she's instantly terrified because she knows two things. Number one, her son is out of town at a church camp, it's not her son. Number two, she talked to her husband on the way home from work. She knows he's working late and not going to be home for a while. Right. So that leaves option number three. There's a complete stranger walking down the hall to her as she is getting ready for the shower. She's forced out of her home at knife point and dragged into a white work truck. We know this because there are two witnesses that sees Pam naked being for- in this white truck. Yeah. Both see it happening. Both call it into the police immediately. Okay. So good for them. Because that usually doesn't happen. Her husband comes home and it doesn't take a lot of looking around to realize something's wrong. Something there's been some something's happened. Yeah. He calls the police. Her face is all over the news immediately. Because again, how many things have we gone through? Yeah. Since um, ninety two. Yeah, exactly. So the un- date you told me was not right. Shut up. Just saying. Unfortunately, her body is found about a month later. It shows extreme sexual assault. Again, her throat is cut from ear to ear, almost to the point of decapitation. The autopsy actually showed that she was still alive when her throat was cut due to the blood that had been rigged into her lungs. One of the witnesses that called into the police that night is a lady. 
She saw Pam struggling and being forced into the white truck. She wrote down the license plate of said truck, told police this when she called him in. The other man that called in, the other witness that night, was a truck driver. Like the big, you know, honk, honk, toot, toot, 18-wheeler. They can't see my arm, but just imagine you're a kid back in the 90s. Truck drivers don't do that anymore. We tried for a whole two hours. We did. Anyway, if you drive a truck, honk at kids when they they toot. You're all Lisa leaning out her window like a crazy person. Just honk. I was doing it for my kid. Yeah. So he, the truck driver, looks down on this white truck and sees a naked, bound woman flipping out. He calls the police. They have, a, they have a full license plate number. You want to know if the police checked back in with these witnesses to get any of this information? Oh, naturally. They did not. Yeah. They did not. So, 23, 23-year-old Trishan Coleman was mourning the loss of her mother, who had died of cancer a few months previously. Um, she had actually attempted to take her own life, but pulled herself out of her grief, um, called, got some counseling, and was legitimately like on a path to try to get herself back together. On November 2nd, 2002, she is sitting at the cemetery visiting her mother's grave. And no one heard from her again. What? A lot of her family members assumed that she finally like, she Just fell back it. in. Yeah. Um, however, that was proved wrong when her body was found abandoned a mile down the road dead. Um, and there was DNA left on her body as well. So police, this whole time, are searching for this white man. Um, there was some evidence from a DNA search done that it was a white man. The FBI profiler gave the whole profile, white man. Um, and that completely contradicted who many of the police officers in the area thought did this. They thought it was Derek Todd Lee, who was a black man. That is who had the, the one, Mac, who yeah. got in his face. Like, it is, they think it's this guy. This is the peeping Tom. So who is Derek Todd Lee? Derek Todd Lee was born on November 5th, 1968, to Florence Lee, who was only 17, and his dad, Thomas Lee, who, um, after the birth of his younger sister, peaced out, uh, returned to his ex-wife, who had five kids already. That were his. They had two more kids. He left her and went and got a new lady. Guy has like 10 kids. Like, just, I can barely manage one. Sure. There's no yeah. way. Yeah, I don't know how people do that. But, uh, honestly, it's not that bad that his dad wasn't in his life because he wasn't the greatest guy. Yeah. Number one, you're going you're gonna to keep just impregnating people and yeah. just leaving them. Yeah. See, he left 17-year-old. That's not cool. Yeah. But ends up, um, he, he had pretty severe mental health issues and ended okay. up being arrested for attempted manslaughter. So not great role model material. I thought manslaughter meant it was like an accident. I know. That's what I thought. And I couldn't find a lot on this. How that's, is it attempt? You know what? That's we'll, what, we'll, that's we'll what dig into that. said. We'll, we'll dig into that later. Move on with your life. Yes, thank you. Um, so his mom, Florence, ends up eventually finding love again and marries Coleman Varro. He's a hardworking man. He provides a great life for his wife and his stepkids. He spends time with his stepkids. Like, he turns it around for the family. Um, they live at, uh, what's it called? Oh, where's it at? What's his name? Varro. It's like Varro, or Lee's Quarters. It's okay. one of those, it's like I make fun of Sheena. It's one of those places where the family has, like, a crap ton of land, and everybody that's born in there gets their own plot and, like, whole areas, like, oh, one like big the Steve family. Oh, like Yeah, yeah. yeah. So 
Because I, I, I make fun of Sheena all the time because her husband's like that. Like, I mean, they've got gigantic buku's amount of land out there, but yep. everybody lives out there like you spit and it's on one of her relatives. Yeah. In-laws. So, I mean, he had a great childhood. It's, number one, he's out in Louisiana. They are playing outside all day long. He has cousins everywhere because they live on the commune for all intents and purposes. Yeah. They're not allowed inside because in Louisiana, like, growing up, that's what you did. I was never allowed inside. you go out and play, stay out of the gullies because there could be an alligator. Yep. Besides that, you're good to go. Yeah. Make sure you have a snake spotter. Yeah. Don't come back till it's dark. Yep. And that's what this kid did. He hunted. He explored. He had all his cousins. Great life. Um... And Varro was a good stepdad. He was a little strict, little, um, and relied on physical punishment to correct the kid's bad behavior. Mm -hmm. But we're not talking about this fluffy time where um, we do, you know, like that, oh, maybe we shouldn't, oh, okay, you want to punch that kid in the face? Go ahead. No. This is the time where if you did something wrong, parents picked you up by your scruff, and you got your butt beat. Yep. Which we all know my opinion on. Go back to the good old days. Yep. But anyway. Um, so this is, uh, and, and this is literally the time where, like, your parents didn't spank you. If you got in trouble at school, your principal got to paddle you. Yeah. Because I grew up in Louisiana at this time, and I fondly remember both of my brothers getting drugged to the principal office at least once a week to get their butt beaten, and I knew that meant they got a spanking at the house, and I liked it. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So, Twisted, anyways. Sick little girl. Um, but this is not the type of situation we're talking about here. Okay. Um, Varro's punishments were said to be severe and frequent. Um, the mother Florence tried to kind of keep the peace, but once it got to the point where he's literally going to beat the tar out of these kids, she's out. Yeah. Like, take your punishment, move on with your life. Right. So, um, this guy, Derek, Derek Todd Lee, he, great childhood besides, you know, act writer, you're going to get beat. Yeah. Um, in school, he did not do so good. Okay. He struggled constantly. He was constantly behind, resulting in multiple okay. interventions, um, they took IT, IQ tests, and he was very low, and ended up having to be enrolled in special education classes. He was frequently bullied because, in the kid's word, he was dumb. Yep. Kids suck. Um, but he also had a tendency to suck his thumb still at school. Okay. Didn't help with the bullying. Um, as he lay, as, as he aged, as he aged, as Lee aged, there were multiple red flags, if okay. you will. Um, he started peeping at windows at a very early age. Um, it was also reported that he physically abused his dog and her puppies. However, Derek Todd Lee realized at a young age that while he may not be adept at schoolwork, he was very adept at talking his way out of trouble and avoiding consequences. Right. So November 8th, 1981, three days after he turned 13, he was arrested for the first time for burglarizing the sweet spot. It's a local candy store. I'm going to be honest. When I first read this, I thought it was like a porn store. Yeah. That's where my mind went. Yeah. Um, but it's a candy store. Sweet spot <laughs> makes more sense. Um, it's a sweet meat. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to court and gets probation. First yep. offense, normal. Um, I'm sure it ended with a beating from a stepdad. More than likely. But that's just my opinion. So his family said that while growing up, Derek had a temper, but would walk away from confrontation most of the time. However, when he turned 16, that, that stopped being the case. Um, he was in a fight with another kid, and he had brought a knife out and attempted to cut the other child. Okay. And was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. However, he had no jail time. No nothing. No probation. No consequences. Free to go. Okay. 
So the window peeping thing continued um, throughout this time on random houses through his neighborhood. But he was not super selective with who he peeped upon. Okay. He even peeped on family members because it's a commune. You just walk over to Aunt Bess's house and look at her wares, if you will. Mm. Um, So it got so bad and so frequent that he actually attacked a woman right in front of his mother because she was trying to tell his mother... He's trying to look at me while I undress. He got pissed and literally, like, threw hands at this woman. Okay. That's where we are at. He is in, like, teenage years okay. at this point. So, again, he, be- he he beats this woman right in front of his mother. And the family members are so upset with him at this point, they call the police and say, he will not quit looking at our daughters, right. our wives. He's looking at everyone through a window. You got to do something. Please show up. Um, and he gets off again with not a single consequence. So, um, he doesn't have a lot of friends. Shockingly, he does not have a lot of girlfriends romantically or platonically, except for this one, um, that there's always an exception. Jackie Sims is his exception who thought he was a nice guy and they just decided to be friends. She's sweet. She's quiet. Their friendship moves into romantic territory. He drops out of school as a junior. She finishes 1988. They get married. Nine months later, they have a baby. So he's not there a lot. She raises the kid. He's not there a lot because he's at local bars bragging about all his girlfriends and sexual exploits. Oh, I thought he was just peeping in windows. Oh, he is. Yeah. So their marriage is very rough. Um, they, they, they get into that type of marriage where they basically tolerate each other when they're not around each other and fight like cats and dogs when they're around each other. Um, they get in a lot of th- fights, a lot of violent fights. Um, he actually threatens her dad with a gun once when he tried to step in between them and, and protect his daughter. Again, no consequences for any of this. Um, this is about the time when he decides that his mom's a problem, starts harassing his mother. Because he says it's her fault that she let Varro physically assault him. Yeah. He harasses her so much that she calls the police on him. He is charged with misdemeanor trespassing, sentenced to therapy. He never goes to therapy. Once again, he is brought to jail and let off without a single consequence. Yep. So for his job, he does like odds and ends constructions job, travels around um, back and forth between St. Francisville and Zachary, Louisiana. Oh, there you have it. He gets in bar fights, he steals, and he peeps into windows. There you go. Those are his hobbies. He's a great guy. So, 26-year-old Carrie Lynn is at home one night, and her boyfriend comes to check on her after not hearing from her all day. And while she's not there, there's no sign of a struggle. So, he's not worried. He becomes worried. And 10 days later, they find her body under a bridge, raped and strangled. She has been punched so hard that her ribs separated and broke away from her spinal column. Oh, my God. A week before uh, before Carrie's murder, 20 DNA samples had been sent off for a profile. They came back confirming that the police should be looking for an African-American man. Okay. Everything that they thought for the past five years was wrong. Matt has said since t- 1992, Derek Tommy Lee is our guy. Yeah. Everyone's ignored him. Yep. He got pulled off the case. Yeah. Several other police guys said, this is our guy. Yeah. Nope. We've arrested him multiple times. Yeah. But we've let him go. Yep. 
Because it's a white guy. Because the profile said that. <sighs> you want to know the kick in the pants? No. The whole time, they had that original DNA sample from the trash bag in lockup that they'd forgotten about and never ran it. Oh Back God. from 1992. So, um, now that they know that they're looking for an African-American man, the police in this precinct who have said, it's Derek Tommy Lee the whole time, say, we're going to prove it. We've okay. got this. So they go back through every single case. Yep. They get where they know Tommy was at, or Lee. They, they, they get the locations where they know he was at, and they start putting all these cases together. On May 25th, they finally have enough evidence to tie him to get a warrant to test his DNA against these 20 samples. And they go to his house. To re- they go to his house. His kids are literally playing in the front yard. And they, they show him, and he says, fine, you take it. Go ahead. I didn't do anything. Like, he is cool, calm, and collected. He's not worried. A, he's never had a consequence for a thing in his life. Like, the Mac even said, like, he, I almost second-guessed my opinion of literally five years because. He was so, like, just yeah. nonchalant. Yeah. So they take his DNA. They bring it back. It's him. Yeah. Without a doubt. They go to arrest him. He's not there. Of course not. He's not there. Um, that's why he was cool, calm, and collected. He already left. Yeah. He, he already his, had a plan B. Sent his wife and kids to Detroit. He left to go to Atlanta. Bob's your uncle. So his photo is everywhere. His wife sees this. And as any, what do good wives any do? They protect normal wife. their, yeah. Heck no. 911, that's my husband. He's in Atlanta. Here's where he's working. Here's yeah. where he's staying. Go Good get woman. Him. Good woman. And they're like, why is he in Atlanta? And she said, he told us, he told me that some girl was trying to pin, like, child support on him, and we had to split up. Yeah. We'll just leave that there. Yeah. We still got a lot to go. You're listening very slowly tonight. Uh, you're, you so, have a lot of information um, Oh, I'm fixing to piss you off a lot in a minute, too. Good. <laughs> So police, after the wife calls it in, police go to Atlanta. They go to the motel. He's staying. He's not there. They talk to everybody, and everybody's like, he's not weird at all. Like, he's a nice guy. I've got no vibe. Super friendly. Police set up a perimeter, and it doesn't take long to spot him. They didn't about Ted Bundy either. Talking to a woman outside. They arrest him. No muss, no fuss. Take him back to Louisiana. He's tried separately for all the murders. Um, for DeSoto's murder, he's given life in prison after one hour deliberation. For Pace's murder, he was given the death. Well, the death penalty was on the p- table. Yeah. Um, they brought Diana, the lady who he was attempting. Yeah. And her son came in. They brought her in to testify against him, which she did. Finally, on October 12th, he was sentenced to death and um, lethal injection. However, he did die before that from heart disease. So I say all that to say. Sentence somebody to death and then, you know, 45 years later it actually happens. Yes. I'm just saying. Now, he was, his DNA was on and he was convicted of, like, hard proof seven people's murders. Yeah. It's thought up to 17. Do you notice whose name was not in all these murders and charges? He did 12. Yeah. That's because um, she was not one of his victims. Are you kidding me? No, Courtney was not. But that's why the FBI was there. Just long story short. Oh, really? I've sat and listened to this crap for... Yeah. For faith 
anything how long that I... I, I have faithed a lot oh, tonight. Oh, yes, my friend. I replaced your name with the F word. Yes. You are the new F word. Yeah, so yeah. that was not to... Um, he already knew. I told him when you went inside. Um, Way to go. Way to go. So that was okay. not... That, but that's why the FBI was immediately there. She was killed right in the middle of all this. Like, in his big buildup. Derek um, was, that's when he was killing. They assumed it was part, because while he never went after a child, he went after girls, women home alone that had children. Jennifer lived alone and had children. So once the police ruled him out as a suspect, um, they thought that they could know who, who killed Courtney. And it was none other than Gerald Cordelion, her stepfather. Are you serious? Yeah. So why would they? The superhero that came as fast as he could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So Jennifer and Jimmy, he goes by Jimmy, Gerald, met online. She posted her daughter's go-kart for sale online in 2001. And he responded to that ad, and the rest was history. They were married very shortly afterwards. Um, and they moved to Mississippi to live with him because he could not move because he was on parole. So in 1979, Gerald was committed to a psychiatric treatment facility due to being accused of kidnapping and rape. And then in 19... 19- Are you kidding me? Oh, no. Then in 1982... <sighs> He was sentenced to 10 years in prison after pleading guilty to sexual battery. But he was good, so they let him out early. Then, in 1999, not even through his 10 years in prison, uh, he was arrested for kidnapping a woman at knife point. He took her to an abandoned building, forced oral sex upon her, followed by raping her. Can I just, like, can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. Maybe I shouldn't. I'd save your tantrum for a minute. Well, I'm only saying that, like, if a guy forced oral sex on me, I'd just bite Bite it off. I would just bite down. I would bite until my teeth met in the middle. Yeah. Like a hot dog. Because you can be like, oh, I'll blow your brains out. But truth be told. I'd rather that than your nasty penile unit that I don't know how often you wash it in my mouth. bro, it's not even that. I mean, you can't even, like, flick a guy in the nards before he's crumpled over. And he's like, absolutely. oh, my life is over. Yeah, I'd bite it off. Yeah. His Audi would be an innie. <laughs> so, um, so he was sentenced to 20 years in prison um, following the conviction of forcible rape, two counts of aggravated crimes against nature. However, again, he was released for good behavior. Shortly after that release, he meets Jennifer. So Gerald was on parole. He finds the go-kart. Obviously, this woman has kids. Purchases it. Starts a relationship. um, And Bob's your uncle. They're married. Now, part of his parole, there was a stipulation where he could have absolutely zero contact with children without parental permission due to being a sexual deviant. Okay. But was any of that, like, shared knowledge with the woman? You would really wish no. So, why did Jennifer and the girls move from Mississippi to Louisiana oh, in faith, 2002? I'm sure you're about to tell me. December 2001, around Christmas, um, 11, 12 year old Courtney 
pulls her mother aside and tells her mother that her stepfather was sexually abusing her. This was supported because one of her older sisters, she had twin older sisters, also told their mother that Gerald was raping her as well. So, the mother did call and report it to the police. And Gerald was advised to move out of the house and have no contact with the family. Now, here's my thing. I, I do not like victim shaming. No, hell no. And people grieve in different ways. And they have a hard time when anything happens to your children. So I try not to parent shame. Yeah. Throw all that out the window. All that out the window. Number one, despite the fact that Gerald had a history of violent sexual assault, she knew this. She knew this. And I'll get to how we know she knows oh this, but he goes before the grand jury on the two, the two girls that accused him of sexual abuse. He has a history, three known convictions of violent sexual assault, and they decided not to press charges, not to indict him because there was no evidence. It's just their word against his. Yeah. But Jennifer was fully aware of Gerald's history. Because his parole officer met with her and disclosed all the violent sexual assaults he had been arrested for. Kidding me. And she still married him and let him around her four daughters, two of which were molested by him. But I was just going to say, like, what? what, are, what, what? So uh. while I usually say we don't blame the parents or family members, come on. So, and, and just, a, just a, this is this is real. There is a, um, on Deadline with Tamron Hall, episode four. Season four, episode nine, there's an episode called Missing Blue Eyes, and it covers this case, and it does interviews with her sisters and her mother, and Jennifer um, is asked by the reporter about knowing Gerald's history, and why would you, if you knew all that, why would you let them around her daughters? And this yeah. is what she had to say, quote, Faith, I don't want to know. No, he did stop, his, stop. He did his stop. time, and he changed. He was no. a different person. His mom and dad and family members led him around, so I thought it was okay. So the question is, if Jennifer and the girls move back to Louisiana to get away from this perv, why is he there helping in the search? Yeah. How did he even know Courtney had gone missing? Well, that's because since he was not indicted for his crimes, Jennifer thought it was okay to keep in contact with him. The mother. Yeah. Because, you know, she loves him. He literally helped them pack their boxes and helped them move into their new house. So after multiple interviews with Gerald and FBI profiling getting involved, Gerald ended up confessing and bringing the officials to Courtney's body. It was recovered on November 26, 2002. Mm -hmm. He confessed to kidnapping her at knife point, transporting her to Mississippi, raping her, bringing her back to Louisiana alive, and then strangling her to death on the banks of the Amy River in Livingston Parish. He kidnapped her, drove her across state lines, yep. so it is a federal case. Yep. However, Louisiana is a magical place. Yeah. Not they're, only do they have great they're, food. They're pretty, uh... <laughs> um, much like Florida just recently did, sexual crimes against children. It does not have to be penetration. Any sexual crime against a child in the good it, state of Louisiana are capital offenses, yep. so death Punishable penalty. by death, yep. Doesn't have to have any other reason. Yep. So in 2003, 
before his trial, Gerald escapes. He gets out of Livingston Prison, Livingston Parish Prison, he and another inmate, and skip do to die, they're free. Okay. Fortunately, he is caught very quickly. Thank God. Um, you think? And um, he gets transferred to a weight trial in Angola. Okay. Which is the largest maximum, maximum. state prison. Yep. It is surrounded by a swamp. Yeah. The officers have to take a ferry to work. Yeah. And I don't know if you know it's in a swamp in Louisiana, but it's not fun. Well, I was going to say, it's almost like... Uh... It's where pedophiles <laughs> should go because they can get out. It's like... I'm going to go to the middle of the ocean and just jump in and see what happens. Yeah, that's what, that's what, that's this what is. it is. That's yeah. what this is. Yeah. It, it's not sharks, though. No. It's snakes and freaking gators and... Boars. Yeah. Like wild boars. boars that will tusk you to death. Yeah, there's there's nothing there that's pleasurable at all. No, it's the Australia of the United States. I told you once before. Everything can kill you. we need to have segregations of prisons yeah. for the crimes that they commit. This is one of them. Yeah. This is a good one. Yeah. So, he's sent there to wait. Um... June 29th, 2006, he is tried. His defense attempts to argue reasonable doubt, stating that Gerald was innocent. He just confessed to protect his wife, Jennifer, Courtney's mother, because she's the one that killed Courtney. Wow. Which, while that was cut down pretty quick, I say she is equally culpable. Guilty, yeah. Um, He is found guilty of first-degree murder. It took less than 38 minutes for the jury to sentence him to death. Louisiana does not mess around with child touchers. Um, so the deal is Louisiana is also a magical place because they've got this great thing where defendants can waive their appeals in a death penalty case. Certain parishes. Okay. So this is what Gerald did. He didn't want to wait around. Right. Um, he was one of the first to utilize this option. Okay. He waived all appeals, so he had to be assessed by two different psychologists. They took around 50 hours to make sure he was mentally competent to make this decision. Okay. Even any death penalty, you have to be mentally competent right. to be put to death. Um, after 50 hours, they turned in a 30-page synopsis. They diagnosed him with adjustment disorder due to his incarceration. He wasn't adjusting well. Who cares? Right. Um, he was also diagnosed as being a sexual status with antipersonality disorder. Okay. The One of the doctors— Can I stop you for like eight mm-hmm. seconds? I got to ask a question. Yeah. So, we're sitting here talking about a guy who it basically told the state, go ahead and kill me. Yeah, I'm done. I don't okay. want to. No, I did it. I'm guilty. And then, we're, like, I'm just over here, sitting here, like, and I'm thinking, how many of these people that are out there that are like, no, nah, I didn't do it, no, nah, I didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, you fucking did. Right? Yeah. And this guy's over here telling you, yeah, I did do it, and I probably need to die. Okay. And, and then we're going to go through psyche valves and like, if you're crazy enough to do it, well, that's the deal. Is then why it? aren't you crazy enough to reap the consequence? Like, yeah, there's nothing in this world that's no. going to rescue them except one. Okay. And yeah. we won't get religious, whatever. No. Okay. I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, like if it were me yeah, and I lost my shit mm-hmm. and I did something stupid. Not anywhere to this degree, okay? But, like, let's I say, like, I, I walked in on somebody doing something bad to my kid, and I slit his throat. And you're like, the consequence is death. I'm like, okay. I'll happily, I will. Happily. Happily go. Yep. Right. Anyways, that's, that's so, what I'm saying. Yeah, so they give their 30-page synopsis to, to the court. 
The doctor who diagnosed him with personality disorder stated, direct quote, it's my opinion with a reasonable degree of medical certainty that those are the current diagnoses, antisocial sexual sadism. Um, however, in my experience, these diagnoses are not ones that affect a person's ability to make, to reason or make logical choices. So basically, he's competent. Yeah. Hang him, hang him high. Yeah. So he was executed January 7th, 2010 in at Angola via lethal injection, and he is currently the last person executed to date. But there's more. <laughs> so the state of Mississippi okay. said, nah, we're not, we're not okay. This isn't how it's going down. So we're going to file felony child abuse Due to the failure to protect your child and knowingly allowing your child to be with a violent sexual offender against Jennifer, Courtney's mom. I can't honestly say that I'm disappointed. No. So she is brought to trial and she is convicted in October 2003. Wow. She is sentenced to five years in prison. Um, her sentence was suspended and she was put on probation. Uh, but they still, wait, it's, we're not done with her. Yeah. Um, her youngest daughter was taken out of her custody to go live with her dad. Her older two daughters that were twins already lived with their dad. So while she did not have jail time, I do think it is a good precedent they set there. I agree. Not only that, you know how I love a sassy judge. Oh, yeah. Love a sassy judge. And the judge presiding over Jennifer's case was not satisfied with this, this conviction. And he's my kind of people. So he ordered that every single year on Courtney's birthday, Jennifer had to write a letter to, Jen to Courtney, her daughter, and tell her all the ways she felt her as a mother and turn it into court every single year. Are you kidding me? So even if this woman, like, gets help and grows as a person, she's still mentally, every year on her daughter's birthday, has to write her daughter a letter explaining all the ways she felt her as a mother and turned it into the court. Or she's, I think That's, that is a good. It is so twisted, but at the same time, grow the F up. Like, that's grow amazing. Up, dude. Like, like you, face, you face what you did and you never forget what you did. Yeah. Is what the judge said. Basically. You will like never that's, ever. That is literally her jail time, which she should have had. You can't say, I made mistakes. I, I was it. You will remember this for the rest no, of your you life. No, you literally full willingly got into a relationship with a man that you know was a pervert and yeah. just allowed it to happen. So like, every that's, year, that's on you, bro. Like, every year on your daughter's birthday, you will remind you, yourself you reap how you failed. You reap what you sow. I think that is, like, out of all the <laughs> yeah. punishments, wow. Like, I've never heard of that, and I think it's awesome. But here's, here's the thing, though. For somebody like you or I, that would mentally torture us forever. But if you're already like a fucking whack job, you'd just be like, yeah, I'll write your letter. But I don't think she was. Like, yeah. when her brother got hurt, she immediately went. She, she reported him to the police. I think she was naive. I think she was a single mom that wanted help. <clears throat> I think... She made bad decisions. I don't think she was a good mom. I do think her kids should be taken away. And I do think she should have to remember what she can, how she contrib contributed to her daughter's death yeah. and painful death at that. Yeah. 
And that is how she'll have to remember her daughter for the rest for the of her rest day. Of her life. Yeah. So that's my case. That but so there's more. Uh, <laughs> you sick for If Courtney's case isn't just a kick in the teeth. Both of these cases are kicks in the teeth. Yeah. Because Derek Tommy Leach, the Baton Rouge serial yes. killer. Yeah. Should have been put away a hundred times. Yeah. And continued to get away with not a not even a slap on the wrist. Right. I left out all the domestic abuse he got called in on, all these things. Yeah. Should have been put away a hundred times. Wasn't. And all these women died because of it. They, this mom knew full well that she was letting a predator in her house. Yeah. Two of her daughters paid the price, won the ultimate price. Yeah. So if all that's not just a kick in the pants, because it is. Yeah. Um, here's the deal. I don't, I don't want to go here. Two weeks. Two weeks before Courtney's death. They're moving into their house, and Gerald is there at the house, fixing the house up, because he's an electrician. So he's working on their house because they're still married. They're still in contact. Yeah. Um, and he ends up electrocuting himself so much that his heart stopped. Do you want to take a wild guess at who performed CPR on this man until the ambulance showed up? If you tell me it life? was the 12-year-old daughter, I'm going to oh Courtney. my God. It was Courtney, who he'd already sexually abused. She forgave him and... I'm sorry, you sexually abused me? I'm going to let you sit there and, and, and twitch till you stop twitching. Yeah. She performed CPR on him till the paramedics got there. And two weeks later, he repaid that by sexually assaulting, raping, and, and strangling her, her to death. Can you believe that? And No, Faith. I can't freaking believe that. Just to tie it all in. Just tie everything together with a nice bow on it for the end of the night. Fun fact. Um, the whole time, Gerald was in death row at Angola. Guess who his cell was? His cell neighbor, because in, 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 in death... If you tell me it's Lee, I'm going to get... It is! You stay worst! They were so worst! You are the freaking worst! Yeah, Derek Todd Lee was... Not Tommy. I, don't, I called him Tommy the whole time. Derek Todd Lee was next door in the cell on death row to Gerald. Just sat there talking about all their... Oh... So that's I'm my case. Yeah, that's I'm my case. I'm done. I'm, done. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch some like David the Gnome or Smurfs or something. I don't like you. It was not great. No, it was not great. Yeah, you suck. Yeah, but that was a good case. That was great. That was. Did I throw you off of the serial killer? There really were three serial killers active in Baton Rouge. There was the it Baton wasn't Rouge. Even just that. I'm just sitting here thinking to myself like. You gave me an entire backstory on a guy that wasn't even the convicted one. No. So, yeah. You're... But I thought it was interesting that they ended up rooming next to each other after... Well, of course they did! Yeah. So, anyway. There's gotta be that fun little tidbit. That's when, when I saw that they roomed together, I was like, well, now I gotta tell his story. They thought it was him. They roomed together beside each other. No, that was good. You had me going. Because I really thought, I was like, oh, okay, so it's the one you mentioned three, this, but you're telling this story, so it's got to be him. And then you're just like, oh, let me just freaking bang a Yui real quick. Yeah, nope, wasn't him. You're the worst. But 
It's still a good story. I can't believe that mom deserved it. That I honestly, like, I, I don't want to sound like, I know people can get manipulated. Yes. And I, I know that people can get into a relationship. But once where the parole you officer don't, you don't prove it, pulls like, you aside at the beginning, you don't get into the relationship. That's what I'm in saying. In my mind. Like, I know, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you can be manipulated into a relationship where people don't show their true colors until later. Yeah. Right? But if you're told up front, this but is what the Both of these guys showed of. their true colors from the get. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So, like, as a woman, I don't care how desperate you are. They make toys for that, bro. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, uh, I think it was as financial, but it, you know what? It doesn't even. It's irrelevant. Like you don't put your your kids in that kind of a. No, no. Over my dead freaking body. No. Yeah, I'd live in a tent first. A, a hundo. All right. Well, so. guys, Faith is a whore, and this was a great night. Because she's a whore. And we will talk to you next week. We will. Probably with a new co-host because Lisa sucks. Only when begged. Oh, geez. See, now, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry it, 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 for it, it, that. I'm sorry, babe. She's despicable, guys. You know this. I am just trying to retort from you. Suck. You've been trying to replace me since we started. True statement. <laughs> True statement. Bye. Bye. Bye.